0: Hello, this is co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and welcome to this not-at-all-new episode of Close Talking. That's right, today we are going deep into the archives and pulling out one of the first episodes we ever recorded. Back in the summer of 2016, Connor and I discussed the devastating poem, The Lynching Postcard, Duluth, Minnesota, by Ray Gonzalez. Obviously, the news has been pretty awful lately. Just in the last couple weeks, the Supreme Court has been stripping away fundamental rights. Jalen Walker, an unarmed black man, was killed by the Akron Police Department. He was shot more than 60 times. And mass shootings continue to claim lives across the country. Not to mention the continued attacks, rhetorical, physical, and legislative, on the trans community. Poetry can seem a little insignificant in the face of an onslaught like this, Heck, Nancy Pelosi was rightly criticized for the poem that she decided to share in the wake of the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. But the lynching postcard Duluth, Minnesota, is a special kind of poem. The kind that tears through the news and points at deeper truths. The subject matter. The lynching postcards that circulated for decades depicting black pain as entertainment and commodity. The setting. Minnesota a state that's about as far north as you can get, and so in the popular imagination could perhaps go unstained by the legacies of Jim Crow and the kinds of obvious racism that are too often associated only with, and I hope you can hear these air quotes, the South. Of course, that was not the case. There were lynchings in Minnesota too. And the poem does not allow a comfortable misunderstanding of history to stand. It fights back, insists, no, stop, look at yourself, you, who might one day wander unthinkingly into an antique shop. This history was never geographically limited, it says. It was not temporally limited. It's barely history at all. It walks with us now in different forms. And finally, the poem asks, are you going to march in lockstep with the sins of the past? Or will you take action and make change? As we find our way forward, seeking justice and peace and truth and comfort, let's keep reaching for poems like this one that hold a special kind of power.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Connor mcnamara Stratton. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, or you can follow us on SoundCloud or Stitcher. Today we discuss the poem, Winching Postcard, Duluth, Minnesota, by the great Ray Gonzalez. Enjoy.
2: Welcome to another episode of Close Talking with Connor McNamara-Stratton. And Jack rossiter Mundley. Connor is a graduate student, MFA, at the University
1: of Minnesota. Jack is a freelance writer in New York City. Uh, yeah, he also recently wrote at One Week, One Band.
2: That's true. Did a whole week on Bruce Springsteen. You can find it at oneweekoneband.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. And then you click on Springsteen.
1: He produces... Poetry Spoken
2: Here I do that is our sister podcast Ah.
0: which is released
2: on the first and third Friday of every month and remember we are the second and fourth Friday of every month so stay tuned for more good poetry coming your way if you have not already subscribed on iTunes to either Close Talking or Poetry Spoken Here pause this podcast right now go and do that we will be here when you get
1: back click that button welcome back
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for going and subscribing it means a lot to us
1: yes it does We've got a great poem this time, as we do every time. Yeah, they're always great. I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we're at, I guess this is the sixth one. Yeah. six. So we're six for six. in um, a thousand? Yeah, this poem is uh, called The Lynching Postcard, Duluth, Minnesota, by Ray Gonzalez, who, as a fun fact, is my professor at the University of Minnesota. Uh, He just came out with uh, a collection of poetry called Beautiful Wall, which this poem is part of, and it won a Minnesota Book Award. Um, Great guy.
2: Congratulations, Professor Ray Gonzalez.
1: Yeah. Um, Anyway, I love this poem, and I'm going to read it for you right now. Oh, thank God. The lynching postcard, Duluth, Minnesota. There is a postcard in an antique shop in Duluth with a photograph of the infamous lynching of a black man carried out in the town in the 1930s. The owner was turned down by eBay when he wanted to sell it there. Tourists walk into his shop and stare at the loan card in the glass case. The owner says it is better to sell it than donate it to a museum where it would be locked away in a drawer. Some people want it removed. Others snicker and stare, shake their heads, and accept the fact that this is only Minnesota. Each morning, the shop owner glances at the case to make sure the postcard is there. Thousands have bowed over the glass. At night, when the shop is closed, the postcard lies in the case, the body hanging in the cold moonlight. Lake Superior, the shadow from the swinging body forming a shape that rises through the glass to darken the shop. Over a dozen people have come across it. They don't know the act of bending over the glass to study the dead body on the pole is forming an invisible arc of light over time, a shadow where those who bow to look imitate the shape of a hanging tree. Yeah. This poem's intense. Yeah. Um, brief, formal, uh, context and other contexts. Uh, it's in Tercets. Um, I tried to read it so that you could get the sense of the Tercets. Um... That is stanzas of three lines. Yeah, stanzas of three lines. Sorry. <laughs> it's in, poem
2: chunks of three lines. It's in Poem chunks
1: of three lines. Those of
2: us into more informal types yeah, of... Yeah, uh, we're gonna... Yeah. Connor is the Mozart to my ACDC. Oh, gosh. I don't want to be ACDC. I can be Aerosmith. I can accept sleazy Aerosmith. I can't accept ACDC. <laughs> That's like a hard rock too far.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tursitz, uh three lines. Um, we'll talk... I have some things to say about that later, but um, anyway, I think it's worth noting so you get a visual. Um, but yeah, so obviously Duluth is in Minnesota. The, this postcard, which... Um, yeah, so the there's, a I think, a bunch of them, but um, there were post postcards that got sent around in the 30s, which is just a horrifying fact. Lynchings were public events entertainment entertainment, and so you take they people took pictures of the lynching and there's this crowd of white people and they're all like some of them are just like smiling at the camera and then they became postcards and people would send them around to their friends and family um so that's kind of the um Yeah, historical backdrop that this poem is engaging with. I think what's really
2: important to note about that as well is that they're from all around the country. So it's not just that there are lynchings in the South and these people are sending these postcards out and around. Like There are lynchings happening all over the country. They are perceived of as entertainment, Mm -hmm. and they are then sent by people who live all over the country to their friends and relatives who also live all over the country. So these postcards, in terms of what they represent for... History and what they can tell us about the history of the country is just the depth of racism and the depth of devaluation of African American bodies and lived experience up into the 20th century all across the country. Because it's very easy to just take the Jim Crow South and the segregation there and pack it away into a sort of regional problem. But this really was a pervasive understanding of what white people thought about black people and how white people felt about black people. And that's really, I think, the the replicability of postcards, that they could be made over and over and over again, and the fact that they were also communication from one person to another, who theoretically are both going to have the same reaction to the postcard, really speaks to the nationwide presence of this kind of racism. and Yeah,
1: totally. Um, Yeah, and two other just, like, side pieces to note. Um, There's a collection of poetry by Martha Collins uh, called White Papers, which examines... It's a bunch of untitled poems that examine uh, race and racism in the U.S., um, and she also engages with these postcards. There's also a great play called An Octoroon by Brandon Jacob Jenkins, which had the privilege of seeing in New York a couple years ago. Um, That's like a rewriting of a play, like an 18th century um, Irish play called The Octoroon. Um, Without going too much into it, the new play basically displays one of these postcards in the sort of fourth act um, and discusses it and contextualizes it in in like a really... um, sophisticated and poignant way. Anyway, it's just, uh, there's a lot of contemporary engagement with them. And this is also one of the poems, but I guess like what strikes me about this poem is I think what Jack was talking about with um, the particular horror of the postcard being a thing is, is, uh, is really engaged with here at length, which is, You have, obviously, the horrible atrocity of the fact that lynchings were happening all the time. Um, And interestingly, and very sadly, I think at a similar rate as um, police shootings are happening now. Oh, wow. um, Which is very sad. Um, But the fact that not just that fact, but then people were photographing that fact and then putting them onto postcards and then distributing them... And so I think one of the cool parts about this poem is it takes the physical fact and environment of one of these postcards very seriously and deliberately. So we have a very grounded setting. There is a postcard in an antique shop in Duluth um, in the present day, and the poem tracks just the existence of that postcard in the shop before the end of the poem which is we can talk about later i think just the gonzalez's attention to certain details that are sort of mundane are what give this poem a particular resonance um like the owner says it is better to sell it than donate it to a museum where it would be locked away in a drawer
2: yeah that's that's so interesting
1: yeah and Disturbing and also just like thinking about someone's making a commercial choice about this postcard, which is
2: really the same thing as the creation of the postcard. Yeah, that was a commercial choice to make those postcards, and people had to buy them and send them. Yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of money exchange and circulation of the image that was going on when it was created. There's no Mm -hmm. change. Yeah, Um, interesting side note there is a museum of racist memorabilia in Michigan. Oh that has God. a lot of these kinds of <laughs> items in its collection. Jesus Christ. Um, so in terms of donating to a museum... If you donated to that one, it wouldn't be locked in That is the drawer. museum where it would not be locked in a drawer, and the context, the curatorial context, would be one to view it in its proper historical setting yeah. and to view it critically as opposed to view it, you know, just as a curiosity or mm-hmm. as something that's then going to be sold eventually. Right, um, right. Which... I would not be surprised if the store owner was unaware of, because I don't think many people have heard of the Museum of Racist Memorabilia. I have not. Is that its proper title? That is its proper title. Wow. It is a fascinating place. You've been there? I have been there. It is a really interesting place, and they try to display as much of their collection as possible. Not all of it, but they just have a a little display area, and it's jam-packed with a bunch of racist stuff.
1: Right, right, right. And so, yeah, that's the key. That's the distinction that Gonzalez is making were not in a setting uh, in the antique shop to view this item critically Um, we are you know the tourists are looking at it as a potential thing to buy or a novelty or a
2: curiosity a
1: curiosity that's why I think
2: that the I love how clear this poem is Mm -hmm. and how straightforward Mm -hmm. it is in relaying what's going on yeah And it really is telling you all the ways in which this is no different than how that postcard was originally created Mm -hmm. and passed around. And that end line about how everyone who's bending over it is making the shape of a hanging tree, really sort of saying, "Yeah, you know, you are hanging this man over and over again. You're doing the same thing. Yeah. Right. I think that line just sort of throws back on the rest of the poem Mm -hmm. that idea because at first when you have all these people coming through and looking at it someone had removed like it's really the story it seems to be telling is of a lot of people coming to look at the postcard and you don't know when I first read when I was reading through it the first time and Mm -hmm. saw the bending over I was thinking of bending over like in prayer Mm -hmm. and it's almost a commemorative act to look at it Mm -hmm. but the setting is all wrong Mm -hmm. you already know that so it's a little jarring to think about and then at the end he really brings it full circle and lets you know it's not commemorative. Even the people who are looking at it and thinking, this is deplorable, this yeah. is the worst thing I've ever seen. That happened to people who saw these postcards back when they were being created. Mm-hmm. It didn't change the fact that there was an audience for them right. or a commercial market for them. It right. just meant that there were some people who were horrified by them.
1: Right. Yeah. The, which you, I think, alluded to, the withholding of judgment that happens in the poem and the, the keeping to description until the very end... It's not until the last five lines when um, they don't know the act of bending over the glass to study the dead body on the pole is forming an invisible arc of light over time, a shadow where those who bow to look imitate the shape of a hanging tree. Um, It's not until those last five lines that the speaker comes out and makes a sort of claim about the reality that he has just described. Um, and I think that the, the clear and the slow, uh, deliberate descriptions um, sort of like uh, they make that claim at the end, you know, powerful and also sort of you you buy it by that point because right. you've you've been you've been a witness to what's happening. Yeah, you feel like you know in the middle you're in the shop yourself basically mm-hmm. because. It really
2: feels like he's contextualizing an experience you've just Mm -hmm. had in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, the line that really, or the the stanza that gets me is, some people want it removed, others snicker and stare, shake their heads, and accept the fact this is only Minnesota. Yeah, I know. So the beginning of that, those first two lines, is like, yeah, some people don't want it there, some people are like, (laughs) are you kidding me? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this? And then that last line Right, Cause it's, that's where it gets a little insidious.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, because Minnesota has this rep of being just this benign state um, where there's no problems except maybe too much cheese curd intake or couple something. A couple too
2: many lakes per couple, capita.
1: Way too many lakes. A lot of
2: lakes, a lot of politeness,
1: right. some very good pie. Right. Also, if it's tourists walking in, it's like, well, maybe these are like enlightened people from the from New York or something, mm-hmm. which we are, by the way, um, who are coming to this, you know, s- stupid state. This, fly like, fly, it's a flyover. flyover state. Only Minnesota. It's so cold there. When I moved to Minnesota, everyone was like, you're going to Minnesota? It's so... it's Aren't you going to be cold? Oh, my God. You're going to be so cold. you're s- your warmest cold, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then when Sarita, my girlfriend, told her bosses that she was moving, they were like, you're moving to Minnesota, it's so cold. And then she was like, yeah, but my boyfriend's pursuing poetry there. It's like, you're moving for your boyfriend who's doing poetry? Oh, my God, you're going to be poor and cold for the rest of your
2: life, honey. Yeah. You need to find a nice investment banker and settle down here in the city to pursue your psychology. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't do that, by the way, Sarita. Connor's a real catch. You'll never do better.
1: Oh, I mean, she was like, I think, you know, I think it's great. He's very talented, and they were dumbstruck. Sarita, you're the best. I love you.
2: This podcast is dedicated
1: to you. Always, all Every the po- <laughs> time. All the podcasts are dedicated to <laughs> Oh, She's the love of my life. I actually, interestingly, I also love the stands. After that, each morning, the shop owner glances at the case to make sure the postcard is there. Mm-hmm. That's like, I don't know. That's such a detail where you're not, I don't know, when, when people, people, generalization, but like conversations about the postcard is always about just the horrible reference that the postcard makes to a horrible past and just the idea of the attentiveness of this owner to like making sure no one steals it or something and, and treating it like it's, you know, one of his products.
2: When it's it's an everyday action too. It's unthinking. It's unfeeling. It's the right. kind of mechanical. You walk in the store. You make sure the postcard's there. You check yeah. the cash register. You put the money in. Yeah, like, it's part of his daily routine. He's completely desensitized to anything this postcard can yeah. stand for. Yeah, he's just viewing it as another like box to check on his morning routine. Yeah, which is
1: yeah. It reminds me of um Have you seen Hunger by Steve the Steve McQueen? It's about the Irish Hunger yes. Strike so good but um, one of the really cool like uh, formal parts of that movie is it begins it opens with this guy who's like one of the guards at the um, the place where they're holding the hunger strikers. I guess they haven't hunger striked yet but anyway the IRA but you don't know he's like a guard in the beginning of the movie so you the shot the movie opens with this guy just washing his hands and his face which you see have a little bit of blood on you but it's like this it's you don't know the context and then the movie moves into the re- the next part of his day and all this shit happens and he beats the living daylights out of this guy and then like 30 minutes later it basically is the same shot of him washing his hands again and that's like was a really cool directorial move to basically um Impress the fact that this is just daily life all of it is and he's just rinsing his hands and going about every day so that reminded me of that and there's a
2: real horror in that yeah I mean the just repeating these kinds of unthinking actions that have such big Moral or ethical
1: yeah. implications. Yeah, the banality uh, of evil. Right. If ever if I'm gonna be that guy. Yeah. Hannah Arendt. <laughs> yeah. No, be that guy. Uh, that's Give us a little bit of what
2: s- that guy has to
1: say. I actually have no idea, but well. she wrote about <laughs> <laughs> that. Officially made you not that guy. I'm uh, not that guy. I want to be, be that guy in a minute. I want to be that guy, but yeah, she well, she wrote about she was uh, she was writing about the Holocaust. She was writing about that one. Uh, Eichmann, is that his name? Um, And the conclusion of the thesis of her book was basically not that, um, you know, there was this evil scheme to kill everyone, but that normal people were just doing their jobs and in doing their jobs committed genocide.
2: There's a, to reference another film, there is the film Doubt. I want to say it was called, with Viggo Mortensen.
1: Mm.
2: And he plays a Nazi who wrote a paper about some medical stuff. The party loves it because it indicates Aryan supremacy. The whole movie basically takes you into his inculcation into the the Nazi uh. Uh, party and cause. And, like, his work is sort of used as the philosophical and academic underpinnings for... Uh the holocaust and then the last shot of the film is a huge like a long extended tracking shot that is just him walking around a concentration camp and clearly just being confronted with what he unwittingly unthinkingly through the everyday actions of his life has given the justification for and has played a major part in creating and he's sort of confronted with with what he's done In the interest of also not having Connor be that guy and apparently solidifying my place as that guy as I'm about to be that guy two podcasts in a row, another uh, thing that this brings up is Judith Butler's idea of grievability, Mm. that there are certain lives and certain bodies and certain instances where death is more grievable. Mm -hmm. And she talks about this in a lot of different settings, but I feel like it comes up here in the sense that this is a, a death, This is a person who died, and that person's death has been reduced to a postcard because in the 1930s, black lives were not grievable, Right, and it has a lot of resonance now because in a lot of instances of police brutality, black lives are still not grievable, and if you come out and say that black lives matter, that is regarded as a radical statement. Yeah, Uh, And at the end of this poem, and throughout the poem, we're seeing that this life is still not being grieved. Mm -hmm. It's being looked at from a distance through glass. It's being seen as two-dimensional as the postcard. Mm -hmm. It's not being given sort of the full grievability that it could have. And it ends with these people essentially, you know, through their viewing in this dispassionate way, hanging a whole human again and again and again because they're taking away the life that is encompassed with this body. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and interestingly, the shape of a hanging tree. So it's the tree, they are creating the structure that allows the hanging. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mentioned tercets back to tercets. This is a very small point, but one thing that I like about the, the formal thing, and I think this is a small move, nine, three line stanzas. The first five stanzas are all their own units, uh, which is to say, the end of the stanza is also an end of a sentence. Yeah, they're like mini paragraphs. And then in the sixth stanza, which begins at night when the shop is closed, the postcard lies in the case, the body hanging in the cold moonlight from Lake Superior. Then we have a stanza, a new stanza, but we have a continuing of the sentence. The shadow from the swinging body forming a shape that rises through the glass to, sh- to darken the shop. And then again, over a dozen people have come across it. They don't know the act of bending over the glass to study the dead body on the pole is forming. Then we have a new stanza, invisible arc of light over time. A shadow where those who about to look imitate the shape of a hanging tree. And I think those are small moves, but it's by setting up the first five stanzas to be their own discrete units. And then at a point that's, a, I think, a thematic shift where the, it's the night of the shop and things get a little less sort of like realistic. Yeah, uh, where the, the shadow
2: suddenly expands to encompass all the people who are bending
1: over creating right.
2: a different shadow. Right.
1: The um, stanzas begin to flow together, become less discrete, um, and I don't think that has like mimetic, like a, a miming meaning or anything. But I think that uh, rhythmically, Gonzalez is shifting the, the rhythm of the poem to signal a thematic shift, which I think works well. And I don't think it sort mm-hmm. of like draws attention to itself. But no. I think that when you read it, you are like unconsciously being pulled Um, after in the cold moonlight from Lake Superior and to study the dead body on the pole is forming into the last stanza. Um, And that I think that pole generates um, a lot of the poignancy and resonance of the end um, that he has withheld from the beginning of the poem. Definitely. Yeah, it's really interesting
2: that that shift occurs when it does because it is sort of this expanding of reality along with The expanding of the sentences and the expanding of those individual verses.
1: Yeah. Great. Let's hear it again. All right. The lynching postcard, Duluth, Minnesota. There is a postcard in an antique shop in Duluth with a photograph of the infamous lynching of a black man carried out in the town in the 1930s. The owner was turned down by eBay when he wanted to sell it there. Tourists walk into his shop and stare at the loan card in the glass case. The owner says it is better to sell it than donate it to a museum where it would be locked away in a drawer. Some people want it removed. Others snicker and stare, shake their heads, and accept the fact that this is only Minnesota. Each morning, the shop owner glances at the case to make sure the postcard is there. Thousands have bowed over the glass. At night, When the shop is closed, the postcard lies in the case, the body hanging in the cold moonlight from Lake Superior, the shadow from the swinging body forming a shape that rises through the glass to darken the shop. Over a dozen people have come across it. They don't know the act of bending over the glass to study the dead body on the pole is forming an invisible arc of light over time. A shadow where those who bow to look imitate the shape of a hanging tree.
0: This is co-host Jack Roster-Munley. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Five stars, maybe? Those reviews help with the algorithm and are a great way for us to find new listeners. And you can put anything in them. You can write whatever you want. You can just say, "Oh, this is a good podcast. I like this podcast." You could be like, "Hey, that Connor guy. He makes a lot of good points." Uh, Jack, why is he doing this outro so long? You know, get him off the mic. And whatever you feel like writing, head on over there. Five stars. Drop in the review. Uh, Do you have thoughts about this poem? Is there a poem or poet you'd like us to cover on a future episode? Well, we'd love to hear from you. And there are tons of ways that you can get in touch with us. I mean, I guess you could drop it into an iTunes review. You could be like, five stars. Hey, why don't you talk about, insert name of poet here. Um, But you can also send us an email. That's probably the best way to do it. Closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com is our email address. Or you can find us on Twitter. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. And the show is at Close Talking. On Instagram, you can find us there, too. Uh, We are at Close Talking Poetry. And we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Close Talking. We haven't gotten to TikTok yet, and we might never. Who knows? Anything is is possible. Um, Speaking of all those social media platforms, a very special thank you to our incredible social media manager, Corey Chena, who keeps us active across the internet. And a thank you to all of you for listening. We will see you next time.